You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Thursday, October 26th, and we're talking Indians baseball today with our good friend Jordan Bastian, our Indians reporter for MLB.com. Jordan, we thank you for the time, and uh, as we speak uh, on this Thursday, uh, just hours ago, the Indians have filled their uh, pitching coach vacancy. Carl Willis is going to be coming back. He spent uh, six years with the try between uh, 2003 and 2009, and uh, he's on his way back to replace the newly minted Mets manager, Mickey Calloway. We're going to get to that in a second, but uh, I think we'd be remiss if uh, we did not talk about Game two of uh, the World Series, which took place on Wednesday night. Uh, The Astros, 7-6 winners in 11. And Jordan, we were kind of joking about this before I hit the uh, record button to get this podcast uh, out to the masses. But the buzz this morning is something along the lines of, wow, one of the greatest World Series games ever. And I'm not saying that it was boring. I'm not saying it was unentertaining. But... And kind of like you said, uh, you know, just a minute or two ago, it it doesn't, in my mind, and I think in yours either, really compare to Game 7 of last year between your Indians and the Cubs. Uh, to me, that was the best World Series game in at least recent memory. This was, I mean, there were eight home runs, and, and I get it. We all love the long ball, and there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of wackiness, but I don't put Game 2 nearly on the same plateau as Game 7 of last year. Agree or disagree? Oh, totally agree. I think Game 7 of last year, you also had the backdrop of two teams trying to end these crazy long, you know, uh, droughts, World Series droughts, you know, and then you had just the drama of going into extra innings and, um, you know, the you know I joked before the World Series began last year that it was going to end in, the, in a tie and the sky was going to open up and <laughs> the Lord was going to return and neither team would win. And then the rain delay happened, and I was wondering if that was actually going to be the case. Um, but no, I, I thought Game Seven, given the the backdrop and everything that happened within the confines of that game, you know, it's I, it's hard to sit here and, and say that I will never cover a game of that magnitude. But I I think I can pretty much say that Game Two was pretty incredible. I was watching it. I was texting my wife because um, she was watching uh, something she DVR'd in the other room, and I'm like, you might want to come in here. This game is pretty insane. <laughs> And I think it was almost 2017 in a nutshell. I mean, just the way the game was played, how many home runs were hit, uh, it, it was it was pretty wild. I mean, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch, especially the extra innings. I mean, you got the umpire getting hit by the wild throw right, and right. a fan jumping into the bullpen and chaos just all over the place. There's a hill on fire outside the ballpark. <laughs> I mean, it it was pretty in, in, insane and incredible and fun to watch. But um, I think people are really have that recency bias of one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And well, it was two World Series games ago that we saw one of the greatest games we ever saw. So, no question. Uh, yeah. It was fun. It was fun though. It was fun, and like I said, you know, by no means uh, was this game boring. But going back to something you just said, you know, this game is a microcosm of baseball in 2017, you know, in a, in a nutshell here, because, you know, you talk about the three true outcomes uh, of baseball these days, you know, walk, strike out or home run. That was this game. I mean, 
I think at one <laughs> point when the, when Kike Hernandez drove in the game tying run in the the tenth, I believe, on a single, that was the Dodgers' first non home run hit of the game in the tenth inning. Didn't they have two hits in like the eighth or ninth inning right. when they were winning? Yes. I mean that's yes. Yeah. I mean that's that's baseball these days, and you know. At the end of the day, that was an awesome game. I don't think anyone's complaining about the manner in which the runs were scored, but it, it is uh, we're in a definitely a, a different type of offensive environment right now, and the Astros and the Dodgers are at the forefront of it. You know, you can even put the Indians as a team that are kind of along those lines when they're looking at analytics and what they're trying to instill in players up through the minors all the way up to the majors. You know, you talk about airball revolution or a heightened uh, level of breaking balls on the mound, all of these things, the two teams in the World Series, the Indians, uh, you look at the Red Sox, the Cubs, all of these teams are sort of at the forefront of the trends in baseball right now, and we saw it on full display in Game 2 for sure. Yeah, we, we certainly did. I, I think, you know, being the, the purist and the old-school guy that I am and I think that you are, I, I wouldn't mind as the series progresses to see a little more you know, let's let's string some hits together. Let's get <laughs> let's get guys on base. Let's put pressure on the pitchers. Let's see good base running. Let's see good defense. You know, eight home runs. Okay, nobody's going to complain about that. But to me, that that is not what makes for exciting baseball. You know, are you in agreement with that for the most part? Uh, it's I don't know uh, a little bit. It's I love I love seeing where this is going, and then I also love seeing the correction. You know, so I think that ebb and flow of baseball is something that I've always been really intrigued by. So I do enjoy it, but I'm also going to enjoy seeing how the game starts to adjust and correct itself um, over the next few years. Because you you always see, I mean, we had that uh, that time when you know offensive numbers were just crazy, and then the pitchers kind of overtook, and everyone's writing about how offense is dying and now we have the airball revolution and home runs are back and you know we're going to see you know another correction going forward so i think that's the fun part about baseball is how cyclical it is and as much as the game changes it stays the same in that the hitters have the advantage then the pitchers have the advantage then the hitters figure it out and the dance just keeps going year to year to year so i'm enjoying what we're seeing right now but it's going to be fun to see the correction over the next few years yeah, good point. Like you said, there's always the ebb and flow between the the give and take and the adjustments between uh, hitting and pitching, and sometimes we see it all in, in one playoff series. Other times it uh, develops over the course of a full season. We'll see what uh, the next uh, at least three games now of the World Series brings as uh, we're tied at one win apiece following uh, last night's uh, crazy game two win by the Astros. So, Jordan, uh, let's get some actual Indians news here <laughs> after this uh, World Series discussion and the uh, baseball philosophy part of it. But the big news, as we touched on at the onset, uh, Carl Willis is going to be returning to the Indians uh, as their pitching coach. He served in that role between 2003 and 2009, and Willis having spent the last uh, few seasons uh, with the Red Sox and uh, obviously a successful tenure there in Boston. Uh, you know, he worked with uh, Chris Sale his first year with the Red Sox, leading the world in, in strikeouts, and I don't think he'll win the Cy Young. I think Kluber will, but he's certainly going to be uh, a top-two finisher for that award under uh, Willis's tutelage. Uh, was he the guy that was kind of uh, pegged as the front-runner and the favorite once uh, Callaway, uh, Mickey Callaway left for the Mets job? Uh, it, it was kind of an under-the-radar candidate, I think, strictly because of the fact of 
how much familiarity there was there. He had been in, in the organization before, and sometimes you don't necessarily think that's going to be the guy they're going to bring back. But I think in this case, that familiarity, and combined with the fact that it's a it's kind of a veteran staff now, this isn't they're not trying to bring in a new pitching coach to teach these guys. They want continuity. They want these guys to just pick up right where they left off. So familiarity from Willis, who more recently for this pitching staff, what's more relevant than his previous tenure as pitching coach, what's more relevant is he was a uh, staff assistant in 2014. He was in the uh, minor league pitching coach ranks in 2015 until the Red Sox brought him over to be their major league pitching coach. So a lot of the guys who are on the pitching staff in the big leagues now with the Indians have a little bit of a history with Carl Willis. So he's going to be able to step right in and, you know, kind of not going to have to reinvent the wheel. He's just going to say, hey, you guys know me. I know you. Let's just keep this thing going. I mean, this is the best pitching staff in baseball. You're not trying to really change much. You know, they weren't trying to bring in a new pitching coach. They were forced into it because Mickey Callaway left. So I think that continuity um, is very, very important in this case. And the other factor that played into it, I mean, this was only three days ago that Callaway was named manager of the Mets, and now they have a new pitching coach. They looked at the market right now for teams who have uh, are looking for pitching coaches around the game. I mean, there's a lot of openings, a lot of names being floated around, and the Indians wanted to kind of move swiftly and, and get their guy in Carl Willis because they were afraid if they didn't act quickly, you know, he might have gotten hired somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, given what he did with the Red Sox over the past uh, couple of years, we can't forget uh, 2016, uh, he – had a guy under his tutelage who won the Cy Young. Uh, Rick Porcello went 22-4, right. came crashing back to earth this year. But still, uh, you know, that's on his resume, too. So that's certainly a, a good thing. I don't know how much, uh, how many differences there are between, you know, uh, pitching coaches by and large in terms of, uh, you know, the way they teach, their philosophy, their blueprint, and so forth. But is there anything that really stands out when you look at, you know, Callaway, you look at Willis, is there anything that you say, oh, you know, one guy does this and the other guy does that and it's completely different, or is there really not that much differentiation when you're talking pitching coaches? Yeah, I mean, that'll take time this year to kind of really see um, the dynamic of Willis with this staff. I mean, to your point you just mentioned ago, um, he had Porcello, who won a Cy Young under his watch. Felix Hernandez, when he was a pitching coach in Seattle, won a Cy Young with, under his watch. CeCe Sabathia and Cliff Lee won Cy Youngs when he was the pitching coach in Cleveland. And now, as you mentioned, Sale is contending for that award um, with Kluber this year. So he's handled elite pitchers, and I think that was a big draw in in the fact that he's going to inherit a staff that has Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco and you know some guys who are continuing to show improvement like Trevor Bauer, or an emerging guy like Mike Clevenger, and uh, an arm that continues to feel like it's untapped potential in Danny Salazar. See, he's inheriting some really great talent, and they like that his resume includes working with elite pitchers and and things like that. But philosophically, um, I think some of the things we heard today from Willis when we spoke with him sounded like Callaway, where trying to figure out each individual pitcher's uh, best pitch, trying to maximize um, those types of things. And I think when you looked at across the league, what the Red Sox were doing this year was similar to the Indians. The Indians led baseball and curveball percentage, and the Red, the Red Sox were right behind them. Uh, you know, when you look across the board at the pitching numbers, Red Sox were second or third in the AL um, across the board, and the Indians led the way. So 
again, I kind of go back to what I what I said a minute ago. The hire here really feels like they want continuity and familiarity because they don't want this pitching staff to change that much. They just want it to get better and continue on the path it's been on. Yeah, no question. And, I mean, we we should all be as lucky as uh, Carl Willis. You get Chris Sale taken away from you, and then Corey Kluber gets <laughs> dropped in your lap. <laughs> so, professionally, we should all be so fortunate. Uh, good for Carl Willis as he is uh, returning home, so to speak. Uh, the new pitching coach appointed uh, just this morning, this Thursday, for the Cleveland Indians. Good place to wrap this one up. Jordan Bastion, our pleasure uh, to talk to you as always. We'll do it again soon. In the meantime, Matt Wehmeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cleveland Indians. <laughs>